This is the last Sunday of the church year, and it is also the solemnity of Christ the King. We may not realize it, but we share this day in common with a number of churches, the Episcopal Church, the Lutheran Church, the Anglican Church of North America, the Presbyterian Church, the Methodist Church, the United Church of Christ, and the Moravian Church. And I suspect that in many of those churches, this one perhaps might be a different, but in many of those churches, homeless will begin by pointing out that America is a democratic republic with a deeply held suspicion of monarchy. We had one once upon a time. Our instincts tell us that a democracy is diametrically opposed to the claims of kings and princes. And so we should ask ourselves what it means when Catholics and Protestants united together in observing this feast day claim in our liturgies that the Lord Jesus Christ is our King and Sovereign Lord. And one way to answer the question might be to compare Christ's kingship with someone who once reigned as a monarch. Luke does this in the Gospel, but you can see it in another way, in a visual way, by looking at the front of your bulletin that you picked up that some of you have already seen. Uh, The picture on the left is from the Ghent altarpiece and shows Christ the King enthroned in glory. The one on the right, of course, is the Emperor Napoleon seated on his imperial throne. It is a painting by Jean-Auguste Dominique Ingres. It dates to about 1806 when Napoleon ruled an empire that stretched from France, Spain, and Italy all the way to Poland. Ingres shows Napoleon not only as emperor of the French, but as though he were a divine ruler. And that oppression is deliberate because few world leaders, other than Stalin, had a better understanding of the ways in which visual art could do political propaganda on their behalf. Napoleon utilized art and artists to create shock and awe or at least the 19th century French equivalent. And, it, and that is on full display in Angra's painting. The emperor is shown wearing the imperial regalia used at his coronation at Notre Dame Cathedral on the 2nd of December, 1804. He wears a golden laurel wreath on his head like the emperors of Rome. He sits on an imposing round back and gilded throne similar to the one that Christ sits on in the Ghent altarpiece. In fact, it's similar in a number of ways, including the posture of both the king of the universe and the emperor of France because Ingres actually copied the Ghent altarpiece when he made his painting. Napoleon once famously asked, what is a throne? And then, in typical Napoleonic style, went on to answer his own question. He said, A throne is merely a wooden bench covered with velvet. Napoleon and his empire are long gone, but his throne, the one that Ingres painted, still exists. You can find it on display in the Richelieu wing of the Louvre Museum in Paris. The fate of an emperor's throne gives us one insight into the passing power 
of worldly rule, the gospel gives us another. Christ may be the universal king, but he does not reign from a chair upholstered in velvet and covered in gold. His throne is the wood of the cross covered in his own blood. He is the world's only true sovereign Lord, but he does not wield earthly power as a commander-in-chief, lording it over his subjects and making his importance felt. His imperium teaches a completely different definition of power and glory than the one we're used to learning about in history books and seeing in current events. He is among us as one who serves, and his greatest act of service is that he lays down his life for his friends. Christ's true kingship is only really fully revealed when he reigns from the cross, because the cross reveals the transcendent power of our humble God. The liturgy of his death that we hear about in the Gospels is a parody of an imperial court liturgy. Christ is dressed in purple robes. He wears a crown of thorns. is given a reed as a mock scepter. is presented to the crowd by Pilate with the words, Behold your king. And finally, he is enthroned on the cross, just as we hear in Luke's gospel. Pilate was enjoying a joke at this hapless Galilean rabbi's expense. But we should ask ourselves, and perhaps Luke and John, Matthew, Mark would like us to ask, which was the reality and which was the parody. In the end, the joke was on Pilate and the empire of which he was but a loyal civil servant. The throne of Rome's emperors were just chairs covered in cloth and gilding, and like Napoleon's, they too have passed away. But the throne of the cross endures forever. So this is the lesson implied in the Feast of Christ the King. And it's not possible to celebrate this feast in the abstract, though we are inclined to do so, as because our theology has not yet caught up with our politics or vice versa, as though Christ's lordship has nothing to say about where our ultimate loyalties belong, or as though it was not a judgment on the ambitions of politicians and secular statesmen. In effect, Today's liturgy subverts Caesar's claim to absolute rule because all authority, whether in heaven or on earth, comes from, is inspired by, and ultimately depends upon God for its legitimacy. Whatever nationality is emblazoned on our passports, Christians are really resident aliens on this planet. We may be citizens of the United States, Canada, Britain, the European Union, I have to um, make a distinction between those two realities, or any other nation, but our true and only sovereign Lord is Jesus Christ. The loyalty of the church lies with the king whose rule supersedes every other form of earthly power. And we will acknowledge that loyalty when, in a few minutes, we will pray for the coming of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We cannot be unmindful of the radical change we are asking God to bring about in this world. 
because that change begins with us whose task it is now to show the world what God's empire looks like by imitating Christ's example in the way we live with one another. <laughs>